Hi, this is Luke Larocque. Hi, this is Teodoro Dragonieri. And this is Walk Left. And Walk Right. <laughs> the podcast? <laughs> I'm Marty Chidorek. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> so you're here to talk a bit about Honest Aesop's Fables, which is a fringe kids show this year, and the first fringe show I'm talking about on the podcast. Tell me a little bit about the genesis of how this ended up being a, a Teradiddle production. My friend Haley Carr, who's co-producer and performer on the show, has had a kids company that she runs with her friend Allison, and I've always wanted to do a kid's show, and the Fringe this year was coming around, and there's that time when you kind of have to decide, do we want to enter the Fringe lottery, do you not? So I approached Haley and said, listen, I know that you've got this kid's company, I've got this crazy idea to modernize some Aesop's fables. Do you want to do, you want to do that? And she said, that sounds amazing. So we put our names in, uh, and then we got in, which we were really fortunate to do. We feel quite lucky. Uh, and then we are like, well, I guess now we have to do a show. So we approached Teodoro and, and said, listen, we've got this idea. It's really kind of no holds barred. We've got total creativity control. Like we can do whatever we want with it. It's a created show from scratch. It's back of November 2012, I guess. He said, are you interested? And so he checked his schedule. He said, yeah, I'm in. And then from there, we kind of looked around at artists that we wanted to work with, which is really great when you're creating a show from scratch. You're not looking for someone to fit a part. You're looking for people who can, can create with you. So we all kind of threw names in the hat and out came six artists. And now we're here getting close to the fringe. So the source material, Aesop, why, what was the drive for that? Uh, I think that, that Aesop has got some really interesting stories. Uh, he was trying to tell stories and trying to prove points, but he was trying to do it in a way that people would remember. Uh, I think one of the things that Teo has always talked about in Spirit is that Aesop was a slave. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really interesting, right? Like He's not a super fancy guy um, in terms of his ability to you know make money and all that, but we said, you know, these are these are old stories. They're well known. I mean, everyone knows the tortoise and the hare. You say that story, people most understand. You know, the tortoise is going to win, and then you say, slow and steady wins the race. Um, we said, well, what does that look like today? How does that how does that work in today's world? Do those stories still jive? And I think a lot of them do. Or, you know, what would it look like if they were modernized? And so that's kind of we thought these stories are great. What would they look like today? And let's play. And so, it's wonderful to to look at the world through the eyes of someone who was a slave, who was an underdog, and uh, whose messages we still are hearing the echoes of, you know, and so that, that I think, uh, was great, a great attraction to the fact that these are stories that are, you know, thousands of years old, and, and, and we, we're still learning from them. He used animals as, as uh, ways of uh, teaching us about the truths uh, for human beings. And those animals are symbolic of certain characters and certain attributes, which we still hold uh, true to. And it's lovely to see how we still connect to those creatures. We still connect to those stories. We still connect to those important messages in uh, in in being a human being in being a creature in this world and learning from the things that happen to us so you started off with aesop and and from there sort of collectively creates tell me about sort of that that creation process 
and how, I guess, how that's been going, how that continues to go. The first thing Teo did was sit us down and, and we did a lot of mass work and group work. Uh, we've all roughly, I, I think I sort of knew everyone who's in the cast as a producer. It was important that I kind of knew how people worked, especially when you're doing a show where you're creating from scratch. But he sat us down and did a lot of group work to make sure that we were really working together as a group well. We did a lot of mass work. Teo's got some expertise in that area. So we did that. And then I think what you did was you assigned us to just bring in our favorite story. Yeah, I just, I, I asked, uh, you know, the educator and me came out and just said, folks, uh, let's bring it to the table. You bring your favorite story, I'll bring my favorite story. And I, I sort of made one up just before a rehearsal when I announced that. And my son, Marcel, said, that's a great story you made up during, <laughs> during the introduction. I think you should write it. I'll help you with it. And and he did. And, uh, and it was one of the sort of uh, one of the stories that was included. But everybody uh, has had a voice in this. And that's just the way I work as a director, as an artist, as an educator. And uh, I think it has enriched our voice. And it has been uh, a, a lovely process of discovery. And as an older guy, I love being animated and challenged and brought into territory where I have to be on my toes. And I think that's the place where good art is created. Are there any particular challenges in sort of keeping that young audience as engaged as, you know, people who may be more familiar with the fables? Well, I, I just, one of the first notes that I gave everybody in the team was that, number one, we must not speak down to kids. Uh, one of the first things I asked them was, one of their early memories of theater. What was it that got you thinking about doing this as a as a passionate part of your life? What is it that you know made you think, "Wow, this is amazing! I want to do this." And for me, it was watching Commedia dell'arte in the streets in Italy. For me, it was watching my brother perform in three or four different languages, and the magic of space and time and places that. Like Hart House Theater for me is a magical place because I remember seeing my brother perform there. And it still remains that for me. And it, 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 you know, it ends up being quite a magical place for Canada for theater. So that's where we started from. We started from what, what was it that turned you on to theater wanting to do this? And interestingly enough, it hit on all the important things that makes theater. And that is the, the moment of, of the magic that happens in, in, in front of you from nothing. And, and all of a sudden, the, the belief in whatever it is that those people are doing with nothing in their hands or nothing as a stage or maybe something amazing and physical or having to do with lights or sound. So that's where we started. Our starting point was what was it that drove them to want to be theater artists? And then from there, it was uh, understanding that, as Marcel said in the Indigo program, young audiences are the most challenging, and we underestimate them. And being on the Dora jury, I, I saw a lot of people, you know, thinking that maybe, you know, maybe they're not as sharp as they are. And I think they are very sharp, and they are the most difficult audience uh, because they don't take mediocrity and they don't take moments that are not truthful and, and that's been a push for me with
with this show all the way through. It has to ring true. It has to have that moment of, yes, I connect with this that's going on on stage. I know it's make-believe, but then you make me forget that it's make-believe. So it's been very important, you know, connecting with a young audience and going to the audience and finding the moments in which you say, this is for you. And we make it important. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I always, one of the things I've loved is that we, we call them plays, right? We don't call them watches or sits or reads. People go to see plays. So they're going to see people play. And I think that that's one of the things that I have felt as an actor throughout this process is that we are playing. And that every single night of the run, we're going to be playing on stage. I, you know, there's a guy, Jeffrey Armour, in the show. And I can see the twinkle in his eye. He plays Leo the Lion at one point. When he gets out there, it's this huge, thick British accent. And he grabs this huge, like, what is it, a chicken, like a plastic chicken bone and starts doing the Hamlet soliloquy to eat or not eat meat. That is the question, right? And all of a sudden, there's this glimmer in his eye. He's playing. And we've seen this now maybe 50 times. But he's playing Hamlet. Yeah, but all of us stop to mind, watch him. Right? And we've it's, seen it so many times. Yeah. It's, it's just this phenomenal excitement to see in the people around me. And it's really neat. I've been doing this for a long time. So if I'm laughing, right? If I'm really actually truthfully laughing. They're doing something right. They're doing something right. <laughs> and if I'm getting goosebumps, they're doing something right. It's really hard to make me laugh. It's really difficult to get me my skin going to goosebumps and they're doing it and they're doing it. And it's lovely. It's so wonderful to watch and it's changing every day. Today we had a rehearsal. We're still fine tuning. We're still, you know, there were things, you know, as Emily Dickinson said, the truth reveals itself slowly. And I find that, that when you engage in a process in which you are going to new territory, you need to give it time and you need to have patience and you need to have patience with each other, right? And so we, we talked in November, yeah. and I, one of the things I said to Teo, and he immediately concurred, and we've just been running with that, is like you get cheap, fast, and good, and you can only have two of those three. And so we both agreed, like, we need to start in January. We can't start in May. There's not going to be the time to create a quality show if you're trying to pull it off in yeah. five rehearsals. You know, maybe if you had X number of dollars to pay everyone to quit their jobs, so they could commit to those five rehearsals and their 12-hour rehearsals. I don't know, but... You know, yeah, we and we're, we're also trying to deal with the reality of everybody also having a life and jobs. And, 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 and jobs. But I'm always very confident because the people that I work with know that I'm in 100%. And I know that whatever happens along the way that we will make up that time and they will do it. I'm never fearful, right? There's two things that walk into the room that gets me out of the room and that is fear and ego, because those two are major enemies of creativity. And and I feel really good about that in this in this room that we've created, in this space that we created in this uh, creative experience that we're we're gonna share in about four weeks. And we could be you know, we could we <laughs> so could soon. we sinking in for it. Yeah, well, January was a long time ago, right? When yeah. you start in January and we hit I think we did even from the beginning we were doing like ten hours a week. Yeah. And so that it seems like you have a long time. You've got six months of so ten hours a week. That adds up. But then you we're in the first week of June now and it's But you know, also it's we close. I mean we we also chose the most difficult thing to do, I have to tell you. Ensemble creations in Canada, we're well known for that. But those are the most difficult things. And in, on, uh, in a good ensemble, everybody shines. 
And as a director, that's what I want. First of all, I want to disappear as a good director. I want to disappear. I don't want people to think, oh, oh yeah, there's a triangle there. Oh yeah, he uses squares a lot, you know, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. I want to disappear, but I also, I also want to engage their voice. I want them to feel like they own it, which I think that's already happened and feel like, uh, it's, it's a worthwhile project. Because we all do things that, you know, we must do because we must do them. But to do something with heart, with passion, and with all your creativity and commitment is a whole other thing. Getting back specifically to the, the subject matter that you're working with, and I mean, you did, not, to, not to give anything away, but I'm kind of curious about what shape things have taken from, you know, starting with these individual stories of animals and I think it's probably good to start. We actually changed the name of the show partway through. We took a word out, and that word was Eds, because the show was originally called Honest Eds Aesop's Fables. And uh, some of our original inspiration was to see, let's see if we can get everything, every single prop and costume and everything from Honest Eds. Uh, we, we think that would be, like, obviously good for your budget, uh, you know, and all that stuff. But then we decided that, you know what, maybe that's not the best way to go. But Teo jumped on kind of this idea of this, like a... Where do these stories get told in terms of the shape of things? Um, you're laughing and I'm not sure why. So, <laughs> You know, honestly, I was just thinking like that. Honestly, did you say hey, honestly? Hey. Uh, hey. Well, basically, I mean, then it would technically be a Mervis show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it would be Ed and not yeah, David. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Well, David, if you're listening, you're welcome to pick us up. Uh, and and it would be shows. in honor of a... a both of those men, I, I, I'm very fond of patriots of you know uh, patrons of the art and and actually patriots, yes, patriots of Canadian theater and Canadian arts, visual arts. I mean, I've I, you know been around a long time, and those folks really have done a lot for the the Canadian art scene, and it was a, a befitting, uh, honorable thing to do to to remember. Ed in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we, we took the Ed out, but we did keep the spirit of kind of this, where do these stories get told? Or why are these stories coming to, coming to fruition? And one of the things we joked about early on was that what if it was all taking place in like the basement of Honest Ed's? Like there's this store up above, but when the store shuts down, like, you know, the custodian of Honest Ed's is actually like this amazing storyteller who tells these great stories and stuff like this. And it, that sounds really nutso, but it was a great jumping off point for us to start the creation process. And so now that we're kind of a little bit past that, but we still have the feel of that. Like when, when the kids and the adults come into the theater, there is going to be the kind of soundscape of, you know, maybe a store closing upstairs or something like that so that they're not just in a theater. They're already somewhere else. Uh, so we're hoping that that kind of will help shape the show a little bit. Yeah, we had all kinds of ideas of... Uh, I come from I come from the, the uh, experiencing the idea of performance art and site-specific work. So for me, there is no theatrical space. The theatrical space space happens everywhere. Right. So we had ideas of you know starting things outside for people. We had things going leading into the theater. But clearly, when you walk in, you will get a sense that you're walking into not just the theater, but some other space that lives underneath some other space upstairs. And what's interesting at the Palmerston is that uh, you will often hear the sound of subways coming through, right? 
which uh, if you're a good director, you'll find some way of utilizing that sound. And we will very easily be able to do that and with the yeah, people totally. that we have, right? Um, but it's about, it's about, for me, turning the space into something else. And that's why we go to a theater. It, it, uh, it, to take us somewhere else. Um, it's to take some words right off of Honest Ed's so yeah. come in and get lost. Come in and yeah, get lost. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so. it's fantastic. Exactly. And, 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 uh, and that, you know, Honest Ed's was a magical place, still is a magical place. And, uh, we're hoping to bring some of that magic to Palmerston uh, Library Theater. We're still trying to get it back around to, uh, what it was like working with that source material. Did you jump off from, uh, the individual performer's favorite stories and try and tie those into? Yes. Each one of us brought a story in. Now, of course, what, what was wonderful about this was that each one of those stories could be the show. And I knew that would happen. And starting with, you know, I, I, I wrote one based on the lion and the mouse, but this is just no ordinary lion and no ordinary mouse. You know, these guys are characters. You know, they have a history. There's a, a real sense of person to these characters. And, and that's, that happened to everyone. So each person brought their own, uh, sense of self, A, by choosing the story and B, by creating the life of the story around the way they wanted to tell it. So already that, added a, a texture and, and color to, to the stories that you would not find in an ordinary Aesop story. So A, what happens is that uh, you, first of all, they're in most cases, they are modernized. They are set in contemporary time and space. Uh, B, the focus of the main characters is uh, played with and manipulated so that there is also not only the main story, but a, a lovely underscore to the story, which I think adds much more richness, not only to the story, but also to the characters. So, yeah, we started with the basic story of what would be perhaps a short paragraph, and all of a sudden it's 20 pages which then had to change to, had to turn to 12 pages, which then in order to live with five other stories or four other stories had to turn to eight pages. But then there's an interesting rhythm that's happening. There's right. a longer story and there's a shorter story. And then there's a longer story and a shorter story. And, and today, you know, there was a, a sense of like, let's get to it. What do we need to say here? How can we say it? that gets to the point and we don't need any excess, right? Because repetition is great if it's used well, but also it has to drive the story and it has to get you somewhere else. How has the dynamic been? I mean, a lot of the stories are the one animal and the other. In terms of working with actors with that sort of give and take, does it break down to a lot of A's and B's or ha have there been developments in more ensemble -y? I think it, it changes. I think for one thing, it's funny, all five of the stories that ended up getting picked are something, I think it's Lion and the Mouse, Ant and Grasshoppers, Sun and North Wind, Swan and Crows, 
and then Mercury and the Woodsman. So like it, literally all five of the stories have this A, B. Um, but in each of those stories, it's it's grown to be so much more than that. For example, we've got this, this Sun in the North Wind and it's modernized. It's set in Toronto. There's CN Tower is involved. But it's not just the Sun, the North Wind and in our story, a child who needs persuading. Uh, but there's parents of the ch- child and there's two people on a subway car as the girl is traveling to the CN Tower to talk to the Sun in the North Wind. And then the Sun in the North Wind are there and there's a crow that flies through. And so there's... And there's a power outage. Yeah, like there's... there's it's, it's just a much richer story than just the simple... Not to say that Aesop was simple because there's so much complexity in the, the, the clearly written, you know, smaller paragraph stories themselves. But I think in the same way that a picture is worth a thousand words, when you have the ability to tell these stories on stage... We don't have to say anything. We just have to look at the audience and they know what we're trying to get at. So uh, there's been a lot of a lot of interplay where things have grown. And so because I think we were kind of nervous about that, that it would be kind of, you know, we would have these two people in this story and then we would switch to the next two people and then the next two people. And then we would have the first two people come back and do another story. Yeah. And it, it really hasn't been like that because there's so many of these little minor characters. Um, Leslie McVeigh in The Lion and the Mouse has to play a TV producer at one point. Um, <laughs> and so she just pops in and she's like, Mr. Leo, we're going to make you a big wing star. And then she's off and you're like, what? Just, oh, he's a star. I get it. Okay, great. But so she's doing that and then she's jumping off stage and she's immediately changing into a costume to be ready to play an ant in two minutes, right? And so there's so much back and forth that I don't even know if it feels like A and B. It feels like six, no, six, no. Six, in six, fact, six A and B turns to uh, J, H, Q, you know, I mean, yeah. it bounces all over the place. And that's what keeps you engaged in the story. And that's what keeps, uh, frankly, that's what keeps me interested in the story. Right. You know, uh, A and B just wouldn't have done it for me. So the lion is not just a lion. He's a lion that, you know, hit the big times and worked for MGM. He was the MGM. And then he landed in some cheap Panini Brothers circus. And then, like, you know what I'm saying? There's a history right. to them. And, and that's, that, that's one of the things that, was clear for me that we needed to take these icons and layer the stories, right? And and give them more. So he's not just a lion. He's not just a mouse. He's a mouse that loves to read. He's very bright. You know, this this mouse tricks the lion and then ends up helping the lion. You know what I'm saying? There's a there's a richness to that story that is not just, oh, it's a mouse. Oh, it's a lion. We did a lot of research, you know, and so, you know, how does a lion move? You know, what does a lion sound like? And then how, what is the degree with which you go from lion to human and and the, the transformation is almost forgotten about and you buy right into it, just simply in a matter of a three, four second span. And that's that's the magic of theater. That's the magic of art, and that's the magic of make believe uh, that we all love to get lost in. <laughs> um, one of the things that's great is we've had um, the musical director Tara Litvak, who's been in rehearsals with us for the last few months, uh, watching the show as it evolves. That's actually it's been one of the coolest things that I haven't experienced a lot is that from the very beginning, the designer has been in every rehearsal, the stage manager, the musical director. So there's been 10 people in on every rehearsal and only six of them are on stage. And that's not so uncommon when you've got bigger shows, but for a show of our size and a fringe show, it's sometimes you can't expect to have a designer there all the time. But having Matthew or Maddie, I guess we call him in the 
in the room means that he's able to make suggestions about characters based on what he's got in his mind for the costume and vice versa. I can come to him and say, you know, I'm thinking this about Grasshopper. Do you think this is a possibility? And he says, yeah, actually, here's how your costume's going to go. So you might actually want to stand like this because it'll make your life easier. And then all of a sudden that and changes. He, and he makes it run in front yeah. of your face. You know, Seriously, the guy speak. is so talented. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's you raise an interesting point because so many productions have almost like this invisible wall between people doing the technical aspects and yes. people and the actors on stage. And, and you know, to have this opportunity, it sounds like you have of the collaboration extending means yeah. it's all actually you well, know, seamlessly actually, it, coming together. It came up to us when we, we had to do um, you know, those, those forms. You have to submit to the fringe. They can make the fringe guide and all that. And we realized there wasn't a place for designer. And we were like, well, where do we... You know, he's he's pretty much, I mean, he's going to be backstage helping us out, but, you know, there's a place for cast, there's a place for director, there's choreographer, which we don't have one, but like, where do we put these three other people who have been such an integral part of our show? And it's it's maybe not a way that well, all theater is created, but we really, it's been vital for us to create this way because of because of them, we have a better show. It's so. It's the only way I work. I wouldn't have it any other way. To have it any other way would weaken the show, really. Honestly, it would mean, first of all, it would be more difficult, which is a silly thing to do because already it's a difficult task. Mm -hmm. We really set a very difficult task ahead of us, right? I mean, it's bizarre, right? Artists, most people try to avoid problems. Here we are going, okay, we're going to put, have 10 people. We're going to create this thing out of nothing. And we've got what? How many months? Boom. Done. Go. Right? I mean, it's insane. But, but I, and that's even with this this show too in particular. You're talking about the problems that I appreciate is that we'll come to a point in the script where we're like, okay, so we know we've rehearsed the next story and we need to stitch these stories together somehow. And we're like, well, this can't work because this person is this. And nobody says, oh, we give up. It's like, no, 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 let's sit down. And then 15 different ways of solving the problem will be brought up. And ultimately, only one will be chosen. But any of one of those other options was was brought up and created and could have been the solution. But I think. One of the things that we've really hit on is that no problem is too hard. Like, but you have to hit the problem head on. You can't kind of try to avoid it. If you try to avoid these kind of problems, they will only multiply and come back to bite you in the butt later. So, and the way I direct and the way I do anything is I try it. I don't know until I yeah. see it. So we've had several solutions uh, to the problem, and then we tried. Even today, and- we had this one thing we were trying to say, like, do, do these two, the grasshopper and the flea, who are like sidekicks, kind of thing. Do they sing offstage and come on, or do they come on and sing? And we, we tried it one way, and even before we had finished, someone was like, no, it doesn't work, and this is why. And we're all like, yeah, Jeff, you're totally right. And we moved on to, like, you know what I mean? Like, we were like, you got it. So uh, it's it becomes obvious, but you you have to be willing to try. And that's what you were saying before about fear and ego, too, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, in everything that I do in all forms of art, I, the role of chance is unbelievably important for me. And as soon as you have, I mean, half of the people that are in this crew, I have not worked with before. So already that's a challenge for me. And I love that, right? Because I, I know half, the other half. And that's great because they're being challenged with a new problem. I'm being challenged with a new problem. And then I have to somehow integrate these other people and I want them and I'm, quite democratic in that sense. I, I really invite as many opportunities to to speak to a problem as I possibly can. 
Which and is I'll, dangerous because it means yeah, the, it, the it, risk of getting bogged down is yeah, high. Yeah. But the reward is high yeah. too. And sometimes you have to try it. And I, it's a, there was a sequence we tried. I felt the one that I had originally was faster, clearer, and to the point. So I chose that. But I mean, I spent just as much time working out that other idea that was brought up as, as the original idea I had. And that's important to me. I must do that. If I don't do that, then, then, then I'm cheating myself out. Now, again, I, I have the luxury of time. And that's why it was great to start in January. Right? With, For sure. With all that stuff. You know, if I only had two weeks, it's a different story. You know, the wonderful thing about theater is that it is, in fact, a giving of oneself to the group and then making that group one. Really, that's the, in the end, that's my job, right? As a director, that's it. You know, I may have all kinds of ideas. I start out with all kinds of research and drawings and blah, 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 blah. And I have, I have it all figured out. And then I have to let it go. I have to allow the voice of these other people. And sometimes I let it go, even though I wanted my idea. And that's okay. That's okay because. I'll have other opportunities, right? That person may not have another opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that's just the socialist in me or the teacher <laughs> or the parent in me. I don't know what it is, but you know, it's, it's, that's who I am. I can't help it. Is there anything specifically about the show that you think people should know coming into it that you want people to know that they won't discover? Be, be ready for anything. Right? Just be ready and, and, and just listen and watch and enjoy. And we'll guide you through it and we'll surprise you and we'll amaze you. But don't come in expecting an Aesop's fable. These are honest Aesop <laughs> fables. We have found the honesty within our own voice and within the context of this group which is something that I've never seen before. So be ready. And on that note, Honest Aesop's Fables, part of the 2013 Toronto Fringe Festival. Luke, Theodora, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you Marty. Thanks, Marty. And it's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have an upcoming Toronto-based performing arts project or production, I want to talk to you about it. Visit walkleft.ca.